Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are joined today by two guests. Hello. To help us recap the Seahawks 2022 draft. Returning for the first time since Friday. It's Ben Baldwin from The Athletic. Thanks for having me back uh, to further dissect the Seahawks drafts. The rave reviews from Friday's pod. And then for the first time since, I, I, I guess since the Pelton cast live from home, I think is the last time we've had you on. The man who drove Russell Wilson out of Seattle with his let Russ cook rallying cry, who did not help us decide Seattle's best fried chicken, sadly. Welcome back to the pod, Zach Whitman. Hey, good to be here. I, I did. I didn't. I, you didn't bite me on for, of course, what we've all memory hold and will never uh, remember the Russell Wilson um, goodbye episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. When we counted down our favorite Russell Wilson memories. Um, but now we have some draft picks that were obtained from the Russell Wilson trade. So <laughs> on to the next thing. That is true. Every Charles Cross block will be one of our favorite <laughs> Russell Wilson memories. <laughs> Every beautiful run block. And the reviews are in. And people love the Seahawks draft, I gotta say. Which is weird. And um, hasn't happened for a long time. There, were, there was a time after like the, the grand slams of, of 20, 2010 through 2012 where after that, anyone was afraid to criticize the Seahawks draft no matter how weird. So they all got these weirdly good draft grades, even though the actual drafts were terrible. And then that, that kind of went away because the, the past few drafts have been really bad. So this is the first like, Genuinely good draft grade that Seahawks have had for a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, even even some of the good drafts, as you say, the the reason they were scared of it is because even some of those drafts were not actually rated that well in the moment. Uh, the famous F from the Bleacher Report from the 2012 draft, uh, not not so well regarded by Mel Kiper either. He gave the Seahawks a B plus for this one. Uh, our buddy Arif Hassan of The Athletic, in his assessment of how teams did relative to his consensus big board, had the Seahawks number number two in that one. And they actually spent the most draft relative draft capital of their picks on premium positions, according to Arjun Munan of PFF. So clearly the Seahawks nailed the draft. They did take a lot of tackles and cornerbacks, which are premium positions. Um, and there's like, I've been trying to think of an analogy for the Seahawks draft and you guys can tell me if this is stupid or not, but the best thing I came up with was let, let's say you had a, a very important job, like, like baking a birthday cake for your child or something, very important job. You do it once a year. <laughs> you, you spend all this time scouting out, um, recipes, you pick the best ingredients you can find, you go to the store and you buy all these premium ingredients for the best recipe you can find you get home and you realize you forgot let's say you forgot sugar and you say ah crap i forgot sugar i'm just gonna put applesauce in this birthday cake instead now did you do a good job baking the cake or not you put a lot of work into it you did mostly the right things but there's also this huge mistake that you made and that's kind of how i feel about the seahawks draft it's an interesting analogy. <laughs> I feel it's like you had $50 to spend on the birthday cake and like you got a pretty awesome cake for $35, but 
But then I, I you blew the last $15 on a balloon that popped immediately, I guess. This would that, be my that, analogy. I'm still workshopping. I think that's that better. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like having like the most gourmet at like ever cake and then getting like the giant off-brand like Winco Foods ice cream, letting it melt, <laughs> refreezing it, and then serving it with the cake. And it's like, well, it is ice cream, um, you know, but it's not good. I mean, honestly, if they would have just passed with the 41st pick, <laughs> we would feel a lot better about this draft. I think it's safe to say. Well, this really is a DK Metcalf thing, right? I mean, if you took Lucas at 41, no one flags it as some crazy you know, outcome. It's really the order that, that gets people because it is so frustrating. Like you see the opportunity cost they took. And that's so aggravating. I mean, if they had taken a quarterback at 41, I'm sure we'll get into this, but if they had taken the quarterback at 41, like many people wanted, the quarterback who did not go until you know, much later in the draft after 72, people would like, you know, be very, very excited about it. So it is really just the kind of just the fork in the eye of it. Like, yeah, we are still here. We are still, we are still the Seattle Seahawks. We still love aggravating you. That was really the, uh, it, it was a especially frustrating pick for many reasons, but almost the most is that it feels like they're staring right into your soul and saying, we see you, and we truly, truly do not care. <laughs> Zach, I'm so happy you're here because Kevin and I just had an argument offline, and I posited the theory that Pete Carroll had this entire draft set up just to personally spite you. I see. Why not Russell Wilson? Well, it's both of you, both you and <laughs> Russell Wilson. As Maybe I am equal, Russell Wilson. Full <laughs> <laughs> magnitude as far as the organization goes. But it feels like this is a direct response to the Let Russ Cook movement. Like it, it was that was the inflection point, right? When when people started getting too excited about Russ, Pete Carroll, like something lingered inside of him. He hated it. He hated every second of the winning deep down. And as as Russ threw a couple of interceptions in one game, he had to come in, fix the offense. Uh, uh, and Pete, Pete really took the failures at the end of that season as a real W from that moment forward, Russ was angry with the organization. Pete was at a crossroads. Pete was like, I can either lean into this idea. We can have this let Russ cook thing, see if it works, or I can go so fucking hard back the other direction. We are going to run the wing goddamn T in Seattle. And he said, he looked at this roster. He was like, you motherfuckers think I drafted Charles cross because he is a pass blocking tackle. No, with their first three picks, they drafted two offensive linemen and they drafted a running back. Like let's, let's not delude ourselves into the idea that they've made these picks to pass the ball. They made these picks to boost the run because Pete Carroll is so fucking mad at you, Zach Whitman, and he needs to rub it in. I mean, I, I take, I take that in the spirits intended and it brings me great joy. So I think <laughs> we're all winning. I mean, there is also the element is, is Zach alluded to of you have Russell Wilson for all this period of time. You obviously did spend some high draft picks on offensive linemen. Typically, those were offensive linemen that were better at run blocking than pass blocking, which is a contrast to the tackles they drafted this year. But then you get the draft pick for Russell Wilson. And finally, you invest a top top pick in a franchise left tackle. Can I say to that though, like the, the fundamental difference in this draft to me is not that they drafted premium positions or drafted a running back. Like they've had drafts in the past where they have an athletic draft where they have a lot of corners. I mean, they drafted 
uh, three or four or five, I guess 2017, the Odiombo draft, they drafted, I think, a bunch of like safeties, right? Um, like all at once. They've, they've had drafts where it's like a bunch of similar positions. The real difference to me in this is they drafted pretty much chalk, which I would say is 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 different than the Effetti pick or any of the other premium like O-line times, like when they, um, it just, it, they've kind of taken several, t- you know, periods throughout, probably three or four drafts, they've taken multiple offensive linemen over the last seven or eight years, but never are they kind of taking off a reef's big board in a way like they were this year. Mm-hmm. And that just fundamentally is so hard to get my head around because I kept looking at like, who is projected to go 40 picks, 60 picks later. And they really <laughs> were kind of picking like off the list of like people that draft Knicks would be kind of focused on. And I still, it still feels very very odd to me almost hard like I can believe them drafting a corner or a position but like the fact that they were drafting people who kind of made sense now they still made it work by being senior bowl participants who were high on the big boards they they still kept their Seahawks DNA but I'm still a little dizzy from it yeah it is definitely a departure from previous drafts where like there was always one to two players that were way overdrafted by a big board or something like that so there there was Marquise Blair, LJ Collier, Ethan Posick, like all of these players were like, I think, I think, I think at least 30 picks before they were projected to go. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that I'm forgetting too. And, and in this draft, they were all of their, I think first, all the picks in the first four rounds, I think were pretty close to the consensus board or were, were seen as steals by the consensus board. Even the, even the Walker pick, which I think we dislike for other reasons, like that wasn't a reach on the consensus board, like the Rashad Penny pick was so that even that comparing high drafted running back to high drafted running back, at least if they were going to take a running back, which I don't think they should have in that position, at least they took one that was um, people thought was appropriate to take uh, in that spot. Yeah. And I think, I think you've nailed what makes this such an interesting draft is again, there's a lot of reasons to like it. And, you know, especially what they did, after we recorded the podcast on Friday with their third round pick and their fourth round pick. And the, the other thing that happened in that interim that Zach alluded to was, you know, obviously we were shocked in part that the Seahawks took a running back, given that all the quarterbacks other than uh, Kenny Pickett were still on the board. And the NFL then proceeded over the next several hours to tell us how little they thought of all of these quarterbacks by passing on them over and over again, including the Seahawks in the third round at pick 72 and by that point, it wasn't even the same degree of shock or, or criticism because, you know, at some point, if the NFL is telling you we don't believe in all these quarterbacks, you've probably got to believe them. Yeah, th- this is kind of a self own here, but I did a lot of mock drafts. And in a lot of those drafts, I took um, an edge rusher, um, probably the one who they took in the second round um, a lot. And then I, I took uh, Lucas, the the tackle they actually took in the third round a lot. So it like, it felt exactly how I thought it would if the Seahawks were a normal drafting team, uh, which they actually did. And then the one, the one different piece is the quarterbacks where there were all these reports after the first round, like look out of the, the top of the second round, it's going to be a really hot market for people going to get their quarterbacks and trading up for their quarterbacks. So that was kind of the context where we were with pick 40, where we thought, okay, one actually fell to the Seahawks and they can take one if they want. And I think that was part of the disappointment, not all of the disappointment, part of it with the Walker pick. And then, yeah, and then we, we saw them fall much, much, much further. And I, I think for Malik Willis, who was like the one quarterback in this draft that I was interested in, um, I, I think I should revise my expectations of him given where he fell. So he's 
obviously not a first or second round draft prospect. And if the NFL is really that down on him, then yes, uh, quarterbacks who are drafted in the third round can succeed. The Seahawks fans, we know this, obviously, but it's a, it's a very long shot now. Yeah, it, it doesn't guarantee that they're correct. Obviously, there are situations where the NFL has been very wrong about quarterbacks, even in the modern era. But again, the odds are much lower than if, you know, the Seahawks had passed at Malik Willis at 40 and 41, and then he went at 42. Like, you would, you would, that decision would look a whole lot different in the context of it. And, you know, the other aspect of this is the Seahawks continue to maintain that they they don't have plans to add a veteran quarterback, even though Baker Mayfield did not find a new home this weekend and negotiations, the Carolina broke down. We'll see whether that was negotiating ploy or, you know, legitimately after they added Matt Corral in the draft that they're out of the quarterback market. Uh, now the thought is maybe Cleveland keeps Baker Mayfield into training camp is, you know, uh, uh, both his insurance in case there's a Deshaun Watson suspension that comes out of the, the charges against him or in case a team suffers an injury and suddenly his trade value increases at that point because there doesn't appear to be much of any uh, trade market for him right now. Can I push back a little bit? <clears throat> I just, we, obviously the, the odds of any one of the quarterbacks of being great are not super high, but there's also a tremendous quarterback class next year that all people are like, and whether or not that's actually they're going to be good after a year of college and they'll be as highly rated as they are now is kind of irrelevant. But I think many teams are also looking to next year as I want to spend my draft capital then. So there's nothing saying that Mike Willis isn't, you know, shouldn't have gone 41 or wouldn't have gone there two or three years ago in some random class. I don't think Kenny Pickett going, you know, where he went and he's uh, three, you know, two and a half rounds better than any other quarterback in the class either. There's also, there's a context to it where, People are very focused on next year. There's a lot, a lot of good young quarterbacks in the league. There are a few veterans available for trade at any given point. Honestly, if they had taken Willis at 41 and no other quarterbacks go until I think the seventies or something like that, when the next, when, uh, when they actually went. Uh, Ritter went 74, two picks after their, their third rounder. I'd be fine with that because I think with Willis, he's probably the kind that's going to fail pretty quick if he does fail and taking shots at quarterbacks is really good because they're very, very important. And on the odds that you do hit, it's, it's significant. So I, I guess I would just say to that, that I think it's actually still fine to waste quote unquote picks on quarterbacks because it's pretty important. And like, think about 2012, if Russell Wilson, if they'd taken him at the Wagner pick, not knowing that he would have you know dropped to 85, like, is that a good pick? I, that comes to, it's very like difficult to actually evaluate all of this. And I'm not even sure where I fall and like where value falls, but quarterback doesn't like the one position where you almost should just kind of use the pick the second you think someone's worth it, almost regardless of the context of everything else around you. So I'm surprised um, just given, I, I understand the context of next year, everyone's being very excited, but I'm surprised no one actually did take a shot earlier, just given that, man, the odds of hitting on that rookie contract as the Seahawks know is tremendous and I would have loved to take a shot on one this year give them a shot really quick see if they fail or not and then move on you know in 2023 but all right well number one can you imagine the decades worth of stories we would have gotten about John Schneider how close they were to taking <laughs> Russell Wilson if they hadn't actually drafted <laughs> Russell Wilson and he'd become a star somewhere else <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you that I, 
I don't think the fact that none of the other quarterbacks, including Willis, went would have made me unhappy about the Willis pick had they done it at 41. It's just I think it's harder to criticize them when all so many other teams yep. came to the yep. same decision. Yeah, I mean, if it if it's a running back at 41 or a very low probability quarterback, then I don't think it takes much convincing for all of us here to say that we, we just take the dice roll on the quarterback. Especially if Drew Locke is going to be starting. I, I think it's different for the Seahawks, though, because I don't think they're approaching this next season as we'll go get our quarterback next season in the way that maybe some of the other teams are. They expect to contend next season. Like Pete Carroll and John Schneider are not, they they expect to contend with Drew Locke as the quarterback. And they may, might even view Malik Willis as a problem. As like, if anything goes wrong for Drew Locke, like our investment, all everything we've been saying for months about Drew Locke, if all of a sudden they need to bench him and fans are calling for Willis, like in the same way that we talked about Cam Newton as backup or something like that, like it almost to them might create a problem because they fully in their minds, I'm not saying they're correct to do so, but I don't think that they're like punting on this year for the quarterback next year, because I think they view it as look, even if Willis is pretty good, we think Drew Locke's going to be better. And they think that they're going to win with Drew Locke. Well, I think this is where we need to point out that uh, listen to Ben's interview with Mike Sean Dugar and Christopher Kidd on the hype on Saturday morning on KJR. It was great to hear. Wow. You got it. You got invited on the hype, Ben. I, I was going to bring this up, but I'm glad Kevin listened because I, I know where he's going with this on the quarterback situation. <laughs> and so they've got a bet going where Chris's bet is that is we said on Friday he thinks Drew Locke will be the Seahawks week one starter. And Mike Sean, despite the things that he's said about how much they believe in Drew Locke and that, you know, their comments are backed up by what they're saying behind the scenes, their public comments, he bet on Geno Smith when it being the starting quarterback in week one. So it might not be Drew Locke. It might be Geno. How incredible is this that these are the two options? They're kind of one of the same though. (laughs) Drew Locke and Geno kind of represent the same thing. Don't they? No, like, because Drew Locke at least represents the potential. He's young enough that if you think we can fix him, you know, that if you hit on Drew Locke, he could be Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Whereas Geno Smith, because of his age, is never going to be that kind of long-term solution. Who's the Matt Flynn? If this is 2011 again, and next year we're going to be signing Matt Flynn, is it like Jordan Love gets into like a late Packers game? And has like a massive game in week 17, oh or I guess week 18. And then that we sign Jordan Love to a, to a reasonable starting contract. I mean, Mariota this year was sort of the, the Flynn of 2012, wasn't he? He didn't play last year, but the start he had two years ago still qualified from the mm-hmm. Flynn standpoint. Well, I guess all of this is kind of irrelevant because Ryan Tannehill is obviously the starting quarterback in, in 2023. So for it. Uh is Jimmy Garoppolo, is there even chatter about him being traded anymore? It's just they're going into camp with Lance and Jimmy G. Sounds like the same thing as Mayfield, where maybe the market evolves or, you know, they decide Trey Lance is the starter at that point. But given the fact that teams aren't that interested in either trading for either of those guys, those teams aren't trading them for less than they wanted to, to get in return. So Jimmy G is also recovering from soldier, soul, shoulder surgery. So it, it could also be the case that teams are waiting to see how that shakes out. Too. I, I think it's probably worth saying too, that in the end, the idea of Pete Carroll going from their short quarterback who like takes a lot of sacks and <laughs> holds on to the ball for a long time is probably unlikely. And throws, I mean, throws a lot this of interceptions. Is, I mean, this, is, this entire draft was like a breakup album 
like to Russell Wilson, like playing the hits, right? Like we're going to draft a pass protecting tackle. We're going to take the running back he's tweeting about. Like, I don't, I, I really, I, w- it would have been very surprising um, to me that the Seahawks try to kind of run it back. It, because, I mean, Pete obviously had some stylist frustrations, right? Over the last several years, he wants to do things fairly conventionally, I think, in a lot of ways uh, in the past game. So maybe it was just overly optimistic to even hope for it. But, I mean, there, there were other quarterbacks who maybe could have fit that. I mean, that was Mike Sean's argument for Desmond Ritter is that he makes the throws over the middle that Wilson struggled with. So, you know, I don't think it was necessarily Malik Willis or Bust in their minds. The other aspect that, that I think is surprising is, you know, we had Brady Henderson on after the Wilson trade, and he mentioned how unlikely he thought it was that the Seahawks would use a first-round pick on a quarterback when we asked him about it, but did seem to think that there would be, you know, an aspect of the Ron Wolf strategy that Schneider has espoused many times of you should always be taking quarterbacks in later rounds, and, you know, Howell, as far as he fell, I think he could have qualified for that by that point, but uh, instead, you know, they, the only quarterbacks they've added are a couple of undrafted free agents. And maybe they just see Drew Luck as the guy that they added this year. And that's that. <laughs> uh, we Let's go through the draft picks one by one before we sort of come back to talking about this class as a whole and what it sets up for the 2022 Seahawks. Uh, you know, we obviously talked a lot about Charles Cross on, on Thursday night. Ben sort of weighed in on it a little bit. But uh, any other thoughts on, on the top of this draft, Zach? Anything that struck you about the, the Cross selection? I mean, it was... Surprising for the reason everyone I think thinks it is, and just I never saw Pete Carroll as like a Mike Leach acolyte, but apparently, <laughs> apparently he's out here you know, taking Mike Leach offensive tackles, which is great. I mean, I think that's honestly that's a very forward-thinking move and both great prospects. It, it was disorienting. I think that's honestly the first time I can think of as a Seahawk fan in the in the Pete Carroll era, where like Twitter has like the, the there are three names left and there are four picks, and we all sit. And we cross off the list, you know, and everyone's tweeting. And then it comes down to like, there are two picks left and there is one name we want. And for the, for the Falcons to go off the board and then for the Seahawks to actually take the name, not to trade down and not to take someone, you know, who did better at the senior bowl, who's 25 and 30 picks later on a Reefs board was, was truly shocking, but very surprising. And honestly, kudos to him, you know, and I think probably the, the notable thing there too is age isn't even the most important thing for an offensive lineman in some cases because it's difficult and obviously there's a huge uh, development imbalance with younger offensive linemen that could you have to kind of think about. But the fact that he is that young it is really tremendous. I mean, he's going to be coming up for his contract when he's still 25. Um, it's pretty, pr- pretty phenomenal stuff. Yep, that, that is a good what if. Is what if the, the Falcons had taken him and. Uh, what would the alternate reality Seahawks pick it on? I, I, my guess would be trade down and take Penning, but uh, we'll never know. And thankfully so. I definitely think trade down would be involved. I mean, whether there's a possibility they might've gone defense, whether it was Johnson or McDuffie, even it's tough to, it's pretty much impossible to say. Uh, in the second round, they did get that edge with Boye Mafe from Minnesota, had 15 and a half sacks over the last two seasons in 18 games as an upperclassman, number two in relative athletic score among 
he's listed as a defensive end there. So, you know, may not be including some of the outside linebacker edges, but, uh, you know, someone who fits the bill from that standpoint and uh, is older does fit that (laughs) part of the Seahawks philosophy. But uh, uh, someone who is, as we've talked about earlier, they kind of took about where he was expected to go. Yeah, it's another case, too. I think people people when they saw him and then like they Googled the senior bowl stuff, there was like a reflexive, this is a terrible idea pick, but like, there's nothing like offensive about that pick. It's like, it's a very normal pick that if you took in a mock draft or something like that's about the right pick, it's about the right place. Age isn't the most important thing again for like a defensive end or, you know, a tackle type. It's probably not the most important thing necessarily. I mean, it certainly has a component, but he has so much in terms of pretty, not, not great production, but decent production really good testing. I mean, the odds of him being a great player are, are pretty small. The odds of him being good are decent. And a lot of this is just throwing darts, right? So all I ask is that they throw darts like in a reasonable way, like a re- like <laughs> you take the first dart and you throw it. And then the second one, and you don't do crazy things like take a running back. Um, so <laughs> it's really hard to, I guess to some extent, right? Like getting hung on the names is, is, is so unimportant. It's just about like, did they follow a relatively good process that made sense? And they're like, I'm going to give them credit for that. Um, because I don't know any one of these names, like the odds that there's so many things involved that who knows who's going to be a hit or not, but you just want to kind of have a good solid process that makes sense. So. Yeah. Once you get to this stage of the draft, you're not going to have a perfect prospect. If, if he was, uh, this athletic and productive and much younger than he would have gone much earlier. So that that's kind of the, the trade-up that they made and they took him about where he was expected to be taken. So yeah. That's- how, how dare you? Bye-bye. The Seahawks <laughs> did take a perfect player later. So, <laughs> so we'll get there. we are going to get there. For sure. uh, I mean, and also to back up Zach's point, there, there are good prospects that come through the senior bowl. It's just, they're not exclusively at the senior bowl. <laughs> Like the Seahawks seem to think. Well, somebody who was not at the Senior Bowl was Kenneth Walker III. Uh, we obviously talked a lot about this pick on Friday and why we don't think it makes sense to take a running back in the second round. Although, you know, the the crazy of the Seahawks division rivals is being much ahead of them after I remembered that Cam Akers had been drafted in the second <laughs> round and then the 49ers took a running back late in the second round. Uh, that, that, that did not age well on my particular part. Uh, if you are going to take a product running back, Kenneth Walker, the third was a highly productive one when the Doak Walker award is the top running back Walter camp national player of the year, uh, led FBS in both yards after contact and second in broken tackles, according to pro football focuses tracking last year. So very much a Seahawks running back. And what if there's things you can control as a running back? It is those things. Uh, and I think I, this is maybe like sugarcoating the pick or whatever, silver linings it, but. If if you're going to take a running back, at least have them be good at the things that are controllable and also probably pair them with a good offensive line at the very least. Like, you know, the Seahawks are trying to do that. And I also just want to say I felt a little bit bad after I was like looking at his tweets and I was like, this is nothing personal. Like, I, I just want to make that clear that it's not like his choice to play the running back position is any sort of prejudice against him. It's just that, unfortunately, in the NFL, the position happens to be very replaceable with players who are taken later, and then finding those second contracts is something where if you're giving a running back a second contract, it's probably a bad deal, and it's probably going to be an albatross on your cap after that. But again, as a person, I think he is probably... Like, Marshawn Lynch is unequivocally one of our favorite Seahawks ever, right? 
possibly our favorite Seahawk ever as a person and is a running back. So if, if Kenneth Walker plays well, that'll be awesome. I'm happy with Rashad Penny right now. It's, it's more just the positional value at this place. I think positional value matters a lot more in the first handful of rounds than the latter handful of rounds, because you are going to be talking about the second contracts with these players. But most importantly, I, I think he is an awesome dude, I'm sure. And a very good running back. And just wanted to mention that because I felt bad as if it's like a personal attack on running backs as people. And that's not the case. That's what Ben does, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Notice he has no defense to offer. <laughs> I, I hope he does very well with the Seahawks. He seems like a very nice young man. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, listen, you can draft Ron Dane at 41. That's, you know. Solid stuff. Is that too dated of a reference? Like twenty five years old. <laughs> I was actually thinking of that all of the credentials that you were talking about, Kevin, adds up to a first round draft pick five years ago. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when did the Chargers uh, trade up for Gordon? Like four, five, six years ago. Very re- and they tr- they traded up for him, right? That was the twenty sixteen Gurley draft, maybe. Yeah, it was Gurley. It was or, Gurley. yeah, it was twenty sixteen. I think you're right. It was, yeah, it was fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. And that was not long ago, and he is a similar Big Ten type running back, yep. right? And very similar. So it is fascinating to see how quickly that has changed. Jonathan Taylor's a second round pick. Kenneth Walker's a second round pick. Five years prior, there were people trading up for first round picks, and then you know it was going back twenty years. Ron Dane was obviously a top, uh, top. I think it was a fourth pick or something like that. Um, so. Like things are changing, and honestly, I hope that the running backs in college get paid a lot of money with the NIL because yes. it really sucks. They're not getting second contracts in the NFL. Uh, Dean was eleventh, so he wasn't quite that uh, high. Gordon was fifteen. Somebody else was the fourth pick then. That sounded right to me when he said fourth. Pick. It's like KJ. Uh, what was uh, the Penn State running back or something? Kajana Carter. Carter. Yeah, that's oh. yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I think that's who I'm thinking of. Uh, Jamal Lewis that year, that same year, ah. is oh, yeah. is Dane was the fifth overall pick. Well, and it's not like there'd be a team who in the last like four or five years would draft a running back and pick two or something like that. Like that wouldn't happen. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't make fun of nerds after doing it. <laughs> What's the, uh, the typing at the typing gift. <laughs> but Jonathan, if the productivity that Kenneth Walker has is similar to what Jonathan Taylor did in Indianapolis. And if that's something that is like, I don't want to say that's expected or whatever, but like, it probably looks like a fine pick. I know you're talking very optimistically about the Seahawks offensive line after these pair of tackle picks. The Colts offensive line is not walking through that door. Well, what I think the other piece is that we just don't know what it's going to look like without Russell Wilson. Like we saw the Rashad Penny games at the end of last year. Russ was the quarterback for those games. They did not happen with Geno Smith as the quarterback. And I, I think that there might be some harsh truths learned about how offense runs that Pete Carroll has not had to see for, see for over a decade. And maybe honestly, like going back even farther, right? Yeah. Having, having an, an, a really good rushing attack with not threatening quarterback play in the NFL is just so, so, so difficult. Yeah, Lindale White and Reggie Bush don't happen without Matt Leiner. Well, it's also, you know, that in between that was a year where Traveris Jackson started a quarterback and a year where they made the playoffs with Charlie Whitehurst starting the season's final game. But if you look at the advanced stats for that running, maybe the second half of the Traveris year looks okay. But yeah. I mean, fundamentally, though, hasn't passing gotten more valuable relative to running year on year because it's because of things like rule changes, the holding calls and 24 after the Seahawks in 2013, 14, like the Delta is also growing, right? 
Um, so Pete has never competed in this NFL without a passing game. And it will be very interesting to see it. Which, by the way, to come back to the running back point that Tristan made at the top of this, if you would be upset at someone about running back value, don't be upset at people pointing out what is actually happening on the field. Be upset at the NFL for creating rules that are set up to make it so much more favorable to pass than the run. Like we know at lower levels that it's not true to the same degree. I mean, I'm not saying that I necessarily want this in a, as a fan. I enjoy from a, an aesthetic standpoint, this version of the NFL. But if you want running backs to maintain their value longer, that's on the NFL. And critically, it's Peyton Manning's fault. He <laughs> lost in 2003. They got a legal contact. He loses in 2013. We get all these holding calls and first down. But if you just took the first down, automatic first down away from holding, made it a five-yard penalty with no auto first, right? That would significantly change the way that the NFL, I mean, that's a few first downs, you know, here and there that add up so yeah no certainly the rules are a huge part of it and it is it is like the spider-man meme right like who who killed running back value and it's not the people pointing out that there's like low value there it's that the game has literally changed in the fundamental rules and structure of it and that has made some parts of the game less valuable and some parts of the game much more valuable that was a compelling case but i'm not sure it illustrated was illustrated by the spider-man meme (laughs) (laughs) In the third round, as we talked about earlier, the Seahawks again go to the leech tree and take Washington State right tackle Abe Lucas, who is definitely on the older side, going to be 24 in October, but another top-tier athlete, number five among tackles in relative athletic score. Uh, and also, despite being a Cougar, there's a, there's a UW tie here. He played at Archbishop Thomas Ooh. Murphy in Everett for former Husky and NFL linebacker Jerry Jensen, was the head coach. He still is the head coach. It's a pretty tenuous husky tie that you found there. <laughs> it was in his one. Well, I was expecting bio. something a lot closer, but uh, you know, his his grandfather played for Seattle U, I believe. I don't think that was football, but uh, oh, that's I, definitely better than. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I learned from reading Abe Lucas's bio. There are a lot of Seahawks fans who told me they're set at offensive line. They have Jake Curhan and Stone Forsythe, then you're wrong about. <laughs> Their, the terrible state of their offensive line. But the Seahawks agree with me. They, they took tackles in the first round and the third round, which uh, in this case, I think is a good thing. Yeah, because they're going to run the ball every single play. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the interesting questions still to be answered, and this may come up later in the, in the pod, is do the Seahawks see Abe Lucas is a day one starter at right tackle, or do they still intend to bring back Brandon Shell or some sort of veteran competition for him at the position? Or is it going to be Lucas and, and Curhan competing for that spot? All right. So after the uh, day two wrapped up coming back with pick one Oh nine in the fourth round, the Seahawks take Kobe Bryant cornerback from Cincinnati, who was one of their biggest steals on the consensus big board where he ranked number 90. Remarkably, he won the Jim Thorpe Award as the nation's top defensive back while playing opposite Sauce Gardner. Uh, so the Seahawks ended up with the award winners at running back and defensive back. And uh, if you're anything like me, who doesn't watch a lot of college football, Kobe Bryant first came on your radar before the Cotton Bowl with Cincinnati playing there in the uh, the playoff when he decided to change his number from the seven he had worn previously throughout his career to number eight to honor his namesake, Kobe Bryant. This is the inside information you get on the Pelton cast. <laughs> and the UW ties. I, I, was waiting, I was waiting for the UW ties from Wikipedia. <laughs> 
Like not everyone has a UW tie. Not everyone's from Everett. Trying to think of any Kobe <laughs> UW ties. I cannot think of any, right? No, I, I don't think there. I, Mike Hopkins, I guess, uh, coached the USA national. Like he was like part of the extended staff when Kobe was on the national team. So I guess that's there we go. 10 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it in. <laughs> It's actually a good game. Give Kevin any name and try to make him tie it back to some kind of Seattle Husky link. Challenge accepted. Any thoughts on this pick, though? So combining this pick and the next pick as just kind of a, a big picture thing, projecting cornerbacks or cornerbacks are pretty volatile in general and projecting them from college into the NFL is pretty hard. So I, I think the right approach is to just like take a lot of dart throws and throw them at the position. And, and this is actually what they did. So uh, I, I like the strategy that they did this year. I admire Ben's ability to maintain that answer. Well, baby is fantasy genius. He has kids. He knows what's up. He's prepared. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Okay. So that next pick in the fifth round, after they traded back the one trade down that they executed in this entire draft, a, a very surprising outcome for the Seahawks in the John Schneider era, Tariq Woolen, cornerback from UTSA, who is maybe the most Seahawkiest draft pick that has ever Seahawked, with all due respect to Christian Sokol. Uh, six foot four corner with 33 and five eighths inch arms. His 42640 time was tied for the fifth fastest ever run at the combine with running back Dre Archer, trailing John Ross, Chris Johnson, a wide receiver named Rondell Melendez, who I'm not sure ever played in the league, and then another 2022 cornerback, Kalen Barnes, who was drafted in the seventh round, also vertical jumped 42 inches. Somehow still only ended up number six in relative athletic score among quarterbacks, cornerbacks, I should say, which uh, is kind of surprising given those attributes. Uh, Zach, this guy seems like right up your spark alley yeah i mean it's like ben said right it projecting any single draft pick in this range like you look at historically it's like there's three good players from a given round or something in you know a given year so the odds of any one person being a hit are are low but it, this is kind of the, the what you do want to do is you you don't get a perfect prospect so you say take someone from a smaller school that's something that you know, pretty good to do in a later round because you might be able to get kind of some other better attributes. A positional change is a way that maybe there's some ability there that's not being realized because you're not being evaluated on something you've done long. Those are both cases here. So it's a positional change where he was a re receiver, I believe until his last year, playing for a small school um, with the Roadrunners. Pretty exciting. I, I assume maybe Fantasy Genius could have knocked that out um, with the Roadrunners. Um, and it's just, it, it is one of those things where he's like built like Brandon Browner, but like has like the, like the split of like Leon Washington or something. Like it's just a pretty, it is a pretty unique physical package where it is, it is like literally John Ross speed, a Brandon Browner body. And then he, the reason he's not testing out super well is just because I think the agility drills are, are fairly poor. It's much more like a classic Seahawk, you know, Byron Maxwell, Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner, where he doesn't have elite change of direction. Um, but yeah, he might be Trey Flowers. He might be worse. He might be better. But it's the kind of pick that does have potential when the Seahawks maybe want to think they still do side of the it. Trey Flowers line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone talks about it. I mean, if he becomes Trey Flowers in the fifth round with pick 153, <laughs> you're totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and the Seahawks, I would say last year, probably even, one of the things they still do well is develop defensive backs and de defensive backs with with limited draft capital, whether they're signing those guys from other 
you know, teams as free agents or late draft picks, they still actually have had success there. And they're getting, you know, uh, uh, read paid with the Jets, you know, at, like one of the things they actually are able to do is to develop defensive backs. And so giving them toolsy types, you know, tall and long and fast and, and, you know, spray and pray, take two in those rounds. That's pretty, pretty sound decision-making. Yeah. Sherman's kind of a similar story in terms of obviously starting the career, his career as a wide receiver, then moving to cornerback and having, you know, those physical tools. He played uh, wide receiver his first three years, including a redshirt year at UTSA, played corner his last two most recent two seasons. So certainly for him to still be out there in the fifth round at pick 153, you know that the technique has got to be uh, still lacking and the, the reps at that position, but that's why you bring him in and try to continue coaching him up. And he is a senior bowler, so I assume he's already started that process. <laughs> <laughs> I think these two picks in general, I mean, actually most of the end of the draft, but these two picks I think is where they found a lot of value. And you do feel like if there's any chance that after the third round, they found somebody who... Uh, is going to be a day one starter. It feels like it's going to be one of these two players. Like, especially because so given the state of their roster at cornerback, right. <laughs> and the fact that they didn't use a higher pick at corner, what one of these two is going, and maybe both will definitely be starting a game this season, and could really be pushing Sidney Jones or Trey Brown. We don't know what his recovery is looking like. One of those two for one of the starting corner jobs, and I think the, these two picks are definitely part of the reason that people are excited about this draft. I mean, the Trey Flowers situation is also a reason to remember, like, let's not get too hyped on Trey Brown because of the fact that he looked good as a rookie. I'm very excited about his potential, but, you know, let's not set expectations suddenly that he, if he's not approval or we're going to be disappointed or something like that. Injury is rough too. Yeah. Uh, Five picks later, the Seahawks double up, having already doubled up at cornerback, double up at edge with Tyreek Smith from Ohio State, who played as a 4-3 defensive end there. Uh, but they're projecting him in that stand-up edge role as an outside linebacker. Just seven career sacks at Ohio State, including three last season. But uh, according to PFF, had the most hits in the Big Ten across the 2020 and 2021 seasons combined. Yeah, once we get to this stage of the draft, it's it really is dart throws. Um, it seems like a perfectly reasonable one. I saw a little bit about him dropping into coverage, so very excited for that uh, <laughs> that discourse to continue this year. <laughs> oh, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> Who is so, so? If we were to run through the roster really quick at that edge position, knowing that they have Boye Mafe, Daryl Taylor, uh, Uchenna Woso, who they brought Woso. in from the charge from the Chargers, is there anybody else that I'm forgetting there? Elton Robinson, is he projecting there, I think, instead of as a 3-4 defensive end? There may be some other lesser players on the roster. So so the the two that they drafted are probably looking like depth at this point, right? You go into the year expecting that Taylor and Woso are going to be the starters, but have pretty solid depth, and hopefully they should be able to get some. I could see Smith getting Sam time, because like the Seahawks have had kind of random players throughout time get like strong side linebacker time pretty early on like who was it in 2015 they had someone they just like got as a street free agent who ended up starting the first four or six games at sam's it's not like a position they've necessarily i don't know i i could actually see them kind of throwing him out there for 20 snaps or something in that kind of role i'm blanking on who this might be zach i i, I the, the odds of me knowing the name but i i know i know there this happened you just gotta trust me kevin 
Well, no, I have to try to figure out who it is. You did uh, mention a basketball game from the 90s. <laughs> a little bit on that immediately. I'm not seeing who that would have been. KPL started, KPL started one game. Mike Morgan started one game, two games. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> 2016 Seahawks starting lineup. Mark Coyle, Mike Morgan, KPL. <laughs> Cash has got one start. Hold on, I will. I will continue looking. All right. That's exact derailing a podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the power he wields! I will come in triumphantly. Just wait. You just had right. to call him on it. This is your fault, Kevin. No, 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 no. There, there's a name. There's Michael Wilhoit. Yes. Oh, there we are. Michael Wilhoit. Wow, that is. Let's remember some guys. Twenty-eight percent of defensive snaps in 2017. He that was, can't be. He had five seasons in the NFL, though, already by that point. But then they sent him as like a street free agent. Like, yeah. I think he was like hit sitting around. Seems plausible. Yeah. Defense wasn't very good that year, right? Uh, yeah, everyone got hurt that year. They did sign him in March. So I, he was not like right before the start of the season. Remember some guys. Yeah. <laughs> that was the year of the uh, Arizona game, right? In, in Arizona, where everyone got hurt. Yep. Wearing green. Arkevius Mingo, Austin Calitro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of guys. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> we'll save this for the summer. Let's remember the full. Let's remember some guys, some Seahawks podcast. Kelsey McRae. Uh, Arkevius Mingo oh, is a strong reminder for a dampening uh, hopes for all of these draft picks. <laughs> Every single person who you're projecting out their second, third contracts, just remember Arkevius Mingo. I got to say, one of the things I was surprised doing the research on this draft is like I looked at third round tackles, how likely they were to become starters and fourth round cornerbacks. And it was actually better than I expected. I, I figured that it was like, yeah, let's let's all chill on like this right tackle position is solid for the next 10 years because we drafted Abe Lucas in the third round. But uh, 10 years is an unrealistic expectation, but him being a starter is is fairly realistic. But uh, we should dampen our expectations for wide receivers drafted in the seventh round where the Seahawks took a pair of them. Bo Melton from Rutgers, who uh, combined for 102 catches the last two seasons for 1,256 yards, just 11.2 yards per catch. So really a possession guy. He was number 11 among wide receivers in relative athletic score and checking in at number three in that group. The Seahawks 233rd pick, Derek Young from Lenore Ryan, uh, a Division II school where he played just seven games over the last two seasons due to limited 2021 spring schedule and a knee injury last fall. Scored six TDs in seven games in those appearances. And uh, that was after he also, uh, much like Woolen, was moving positions. He was primarily a running back in 2018 and 2019. So I would say on Derek Young, I Googled it, and he's coming in with a height of 18 foot seven and 74 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels feels tough. <laughs> the BMI is, is somehow negative. Can you imagine that catch <laughs> <laughs> Oh, use him like Jimmy Graham in the end zone. <laughs> so I will say I actually think Bo Melton's a great pick. Um if you if you kind of gave me blind his, his stats, because leave aside kind of the number of receptions and you know, kind of the volume stats, his, his, like his, not to go, I guess, two way off base, but like his dominator rating his like, you know, 
yards per route run type metrics are really, really strong. Um, considering he was in a terrible offense with extremely bad quarterback play. Like if you were to show me just kind of blind his, his metrics, both total and rate adjusted and the athleticism and, and frame, I would probably would have guessed like a fourth round pick or something, knowing kind of nothing. And certainly there's a Rutgers component to it. But if you look back, he was actually a pretty highly recruited guy too, who went to Rutgers, I think because like family stuff. So it's not even like he's kind of this, you know, he, he was really successful in high school, really a star guy, goes to Rutgers, has bad quarterback play, but is fundamentally a really good athlete who still was very productive kind of per target with bad play. It's really, I mean, a seventh round pick is a total lottery, but again, you get back to like, what is the process they used to arrive at a pick? That's super smart. Like, yeah, go get someone who is highly recruited, who is very productive, had bad quarterback play. And most chances are he's not going to be useful, but that's a really good shot. And with Derek Young, honestly, that just feels like the Seahawks have always kind of wanted the uh, super athletic kind of special teams types too late in the draft. You may not have all of the receiving ability, but, but Ricardo Lockett types, you know, are, they've been very frequent throughout. They love those guys. And honestly, uh, that seems as much to me as anything kind of a, a punt on the special team side, no pun intended. Um, than it is like someone you think is going to be running it. Although of course, if they get to the Super Bowl, that's who would be running the, <laughs> the slant around at the goal line. So. Don't, don't remember that play. <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, he has 18 foot seven. So it seems like that would be more successful. <laughs> <than that play. laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that was one of my takeaways here is like, by the time you're talking about receivers, you're being drafted in the seventh round, like special teams is at least as important as receiving ability when you're talking about these players. So I think that's going to end up being a big factor. And, you know, it's, it's very plausible that both of these guys end up on the practice squad rather than actually making the roster out of training camp. I mean, I, I remember when we were here the last time that Zach was excited about a seventh round skill position player after the draft and it was Chris Carson. So uh, <laughs> I distinctly remember being on that podcast and being like, Oh, this Chris Carson guy will take note. And uh, you also distinctly remember Zach not being excited about anyone from the Jordan Brooks draft. <laughs> yeah, and I think we were right, right? No, Daryl Taylor has turned out. We were, oh. we were, we were reasonably like we were reasonably optimistic about Taylor, but he's probably exceeded our expectations thus far. Taylor was a good process, a good prospect. He's turned out well, but the process behind that pick was like they 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 gave up a lot to trade up and get him, and I I'm sure that was the frustration at the time. Well, I mean, like literally the, the, not to relitigate two, two years ago, but like the, the point of it was that with COVID, it's very important to have older players who will catch on right away in their rookie year. And then he proceeded to not play in his rookie year, which to me seems kind of like QED, like bad logic used to like come to the solution. But like beyond that, obviously, he's already exceeded expectations for like a second round pick really just by having the one successful season so it isn't at this point a good pick and they also drafted damian lewis in the third round i assume we were excited about that yeah uh, i don't think we were excited about anything it was a pretty <laughs> negative pod for sure i, I do know that <laughs> much but i think i think it's been over overstated in hindsight how negative it was. i think much of it is related to the jordan brooks pick to be honest i think there was some frustration about the positional value for sure similar potentially to this year uh, especially like back to back, the LJ Collier yeah. first round pick, and then Jordan Brooks, the well, Rashad line. Penny the year before, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the classic Penny Collier Brooks triumvirate. 
I mean, you really, really have to say overall when viewing this draft in totality, looking at those first picks that they have, that triumvirate that you're talking about, followed by D. Eskridge, who granted was a really, really low pick and they uh, at least at a valuable position, but maybe the specific type of thing he did was not necessarily as valuable at the position. At least at the very top, the Seahawks knocked this one out of the park. And, uh, you know, I think overall the draft has gotten very, very good reviews from the traditional draft Knicks. Uh, I know we talked kind of overall about how we're feeling about it. Uh, ben Zach, how do you think this draft affects the Seahawks in the year 2022 specifically? We'll start with you, Ben. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit, but um so I think the cross pick was great, but he is coming in and replacing like the one good player on the Seahawks offensive line. So he like granted, he'll have a much smaller cap hit than Dwayne Brown had been having, but he like his expectation for how well he'll play in his rookie season is probably much lower than Brown over the past few years. So it's not like he's going to come in and improve upon that. And then there's still a lot of, I don't know if question marks is the right word because the starters are entrenched, but like their, their pass protection has not been very good the past few years um, by a lot of different measures. And they still have Drew Lockett quarterback. So like on the offensive side of the ball, um, like I'm, I like the picks and I'm sort of uh, looking up more about their long-term future, the running back pick aside, but I don't think we saw anything that should revise our expectations of what we think the offense should look like. And that, that the offense is, um, a, a very large component of, of how good we expect the team. Zach? I mean, I, it, it feels like I, what they think this year is going to be versus what I wish it be would be, I think, are very different things. And so if I, if I think about what the Seahawks think it is, the Seahawks think this is a year where they are going to grit and grind and Pete's, Pete, you know, is going to grind out some wins and they're going to do it with the run game and with kind of a, a a measured pass attack. Um, and I think, I think that if I am judging them on their own metrics of what they think they want to be, I think what they did makes a lot of sense. And that's great. I think what, like what Ben said is though, it's very difficult to see year one, these picks specifically being serious upgrades on what they had last year. And I think the most important thing that happened was they did not select a quarterback which means probably the good case is that they're starting Drew Locke because I'd rather they not, you know, <laughs> spend a bunch on Baker Mayfield or whatever else. I'd rather they kind of lose this year and go after a quarterback in the draft next year. But the fact that they did not select a quarterback, I think is probably the most important and relevant thing and means they are proceeding forward this year with probably what they have. And that's exciting, guys. We get a year of Drew Locke or Geno Smith. And it may not be perfect on the field, but the content is going to be absolutely phenomenal this year, I will say. I mean, I think the other aspect of this is, and sort of to Ben's point, like if they had gone a position other than tackle in the first round and re-signed Dwayne Brown or re-signed Brandon Shell or both of those guys, that would have made for a much stronger 2022 Seahawks, even if it might not necessarily have led to a better team long-term. Whereas the position they kind of neglected in their the first day picks turned out to be cornerback, which is a spot where, as we know, anytime the Seahawks try to invest in an outside free agent, it does not turn out well. So 
they didn't augment substantially the position where they're really weak and don't have alternatives and did the position where they're really weak, but did potentially have some alternatives in free agency. And the net result of that, I think, is, again, feel good about the future, but feel that much worse about the 2022 Seahawks. And Tristan, I don't know if you've looked at this. Do you know what the over-under is for wins for your Seattle Seahawks in the year 2022? I looked at this. <laughs> is it seven? Can I, can, I, can I guess? Guess okay. that. I would have said six and a half. Lower. Lower. Six wins. Six. Six what, wins. What are the lowest in the league? What are, where does that so It's usually like four and a half or something. It, it doesn't go that low, right? The, te- the Texans were really low last year. Yeah. Carolina's at six. Detroit is at six. As I scroll through this, this is compelling content that I'm trying to fill. Houston is at four and a half. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's about as low as it gets usually. Chicago is at six and a half. So uh, Atlanta is at five and a half. Jets are at five and a half. So f- looks like tied for fourth lowest odds. Jacksonville at six and a half. I mean, that would be great. Right. So that's what I'm saying with the idea that, you know, if you're one of those top four teams, actually, and you have the second first round pick, there's a pretty good chance of you ending up with the quarterback you want out of the 2023 draft. Are they? Do they realize that they have the easy schedule finally the year that <laughs> they don't need the easy schedule? It is very frustrating. I might need to call Caesars and uh, touch base with them on that. If, if things go how we think they do this season, they'll have a lot of easy schedules to come. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, To me, it feels like the Seahawks can still get the seven wins, like the really crappy seven wins over like the bad teams. <laughs> the, um, the, the win in week 18 and yeah. cost themselves three draft spots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, like almost a win that cost you as much as the second first round pick when the Jets go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> or not the Jets, uh, the Bron- Broncos. Wow. Uh, yes, thankfully, it would be much better off if we had the Jets' first round pick. That would be a yeah. great outcome. They only have our first round picks, as it turns out. <laughs> so I was thinking about this because the if they hadn't made the Russell Wilson trade, what the Seahawks would have gotten with their own native picks from the first two rounds is Kenneth Walker. That's it. So I, this would be, that'd be a very different podcast than now, with which we actually have two other prospects to be excited about. So, so they, just, they just need to trade <laughs> the franchise quarterback every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, at least next year they'll have their own native pick too. So they'll be um, being bad. We'll have an extra um, carrot, I guess <laughs> that comes along with it of actually having their own draft pick for once to pick up an older edge rusher. <laughs> so wait, can, can, can I ask? Can I ask? Are you guys over or under six? I think I'm probably over. I'm over, but reluctantly. And not in a good way. I am upset to be over. <laughs> like, because it's not going to be in. They'll they'll be right in between playoffs. Like, this is not a bad roster. You look around at some of those rosters, and <laughs> Kevin Kevin made a face at that, th- and I agree there are him. worse <laughs> rosters. The Texans roster is worse. The Lions roster is worse, and those teams also don't have quarterbacks. You know, like. You've named two teams. <laughs> the Jets roster is worse. I think that the Bears roster is worse. Like there, there are quite a few teams. The Jags probably. Like 
I, I think there are quite a few teams. Obviously, the Seahawks are in a difficult division, but the Cardinals are probably going to fade a bit this next year, and the schedule is easy and favorable. They're going to get to seven fucking wins. They're going to have, like, the 12th pick in the draft, and we're just going to run this shit back again. Like, if we think that we're going to be here one year from today on May 1st or whatever day it is, and we're going to be talking about the Seahawks drafting the franchise quarterback, we are blind to what is happening unless Pete Carroll and John Schneider are not at the helm of the organization. So what I'm hearing from you, Tristan, is we are Mindy St. Clair and we're stuck in the medium place. <laughs> for now, for now. I mean, it's not that we're Mindy St. Clair and we're stuck in the medium place. It's that we are, oh my God, why can't I think of dude's name? Broncos coach before this. Michael Wilhoyt. We are Vic Fangio. We, what, right? We are like, we are the parent. We're, we're Jeff Fisher now. Like, that is who we are. We're just good enough to not have a good enough draft pick. And how many um, of the 32 teams, how many do you think have a worse starting quarterback than Drew Locke? Slash Geno Smith. <laughs> I, I think that there's a, there's a tier. And. <laughs> And the Seahawks are in the bottom tier because it's really hard to compare apples to apples. Carolina and the Jets would be the two, right? But Justin Fields, like yeah, yeah. Davis Mills. You're telling me that Davis Mills is better than? I think it's I, more likely that Davis Mills takes a step forward in his second season than Drew Locke does at his age. And if the Bears are worse than the Seahawks, would they even? They might not even be in the quarterback market still if they still believe in Fields. So it's like, how many teams? that need a quarterback will be worse than the Seahawks. And yeah, the lions are definitely, definitely an option there. Carolina would be yeah. another potential team that many that of the could teams didn't address it. This None of the teams addressed it, right? Pittsburgh. That's it. It may be the Falcons, depending on what happens. Yeah. Or, or Carolina took corral. Like they, they did. Those teams eventually did take quarterbacks. Washington took uh, a quarterback. They took Carolina's Howell, right? at the top of the draft yeah. this year. They're going to draft a quarterback. Like, not, yeah, no, no, Matt uh, for sure. not going to change anything for them. But it is interesting that, like, if you looked at the group of teams that you said came into the draft needs a quarterback, most of them did draft a quarterback, just not as high <laughs> as we expected. The Seahawks were like, now nah, we're good on this group entirely. We didn't talk about their uh, undrafted quarterbacks. I guess we can do that real quick because uh, I looked it up. Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan averaged 11.2 yards per attempt in six games in 2020. 9.1 last season uh, was fifth in the MAC in QBR after finishing second in 2020. Levi Lewis from Louisiana, the former Louisiana Lafayette, is a lefty, will turn 24 next week. He was number four in QBR among Sunbelt players through just four interceptions and 391 attempts, which will appeal to Pete Carroll, but just 7.5 yards per attempt. Definite rushing threat, which is why his QBR ended up pretty similar to LLB's despite weaker passing production. CJ LLB's? <laughs> Caleb, Caleb LLB. Oh. Important news. It was also Austin Calitro. I was thinking oh, yeah. of who yeah. they signed okay. in uh, like September 2017 and played like 16 games. Five started the Seahawks in 2017. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> Thank you. That's really been annoying me. What? <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Ben, thanks for, so much for taking the time for doing the uh, two emergency pods this weekend. And Zach, also great to have you on this one. Zach, the return. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. You're you're muted for some reason. What?
Now? Yay? Nay? Good? Okay. Then go in at the very end of the pod. <laughs> 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 <laughs>